Scaleout Nation, I get people asking me all the time, how do I read so much as busy as I am? And the secret is, a lot of my reading people do for me. That's right, I use Audible. Audible is a service that will read books to you and allow you to get the content while you're driving from account to account. I've been using Audible for years and you can try it for free, one book and one month for free on me through our affiliate link, scalinguph2o.com forward slash Audible. Welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. I'm your host, Trace Blackmore, and folks, I love hosting this podcast. I love letting you know of different events that I'm going to be at in the hopes that I get to meet you. I love it when people come up and let me know that this podcast has meant something to them. I love it when people go online and share with me what they want to hear on this podcast. And uh, I love it when I just get those notes that people just say, you know what, keep up the good work. Because sometimes, like this, I'm up late at night. Of course, these podcasts are pre-recorded, and I would much rather be in bed sometimes after a long, hard day of work. But I know that you out there in the Scaling Up Nation, you want a brand new episode each and every Friday. So it makes it worthwhile because I know you appreciate the effort of not only me staying up late tonight to give you this recording, this podcast, but also all the hard work that my team puts in to not only bring you the podcast, but folks, it is just amazing. All the resources that have been created around the brand Scaling Up H2O. We, of course, have a website that is second to none when it comes to researching what we do as industrial water treaters. We have a transcript of each and every podcast, and we are well over 300 podcasts. So if you search for a particular topic, you're going to get so much information on experts about that topic and information that they have shared with us. It truly is amazing of all of the data that we have collected over the years on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. But it does not stop there because we've also started Scaling Up H2O Academy. And this is where myself and other team members are creating courses for you to take on your own designated time when you want to absorb these courses and take these courses, I think in the last time I checked, there was like 110 different courses that are in the works that we are trying to make. Of course, we're trying to get new courses on our platform each and every month. And so many people have taken advantage of that and learn more about this amazing industry. So many people have used this to bolster their confidence and obtained their certified water technologist designation. 
So you can find out all of the nice new things that we are doing by going on scalinguph2o.com and looking all over the website. Maybe you go over to Scaling Up Academy and see all the things that we have there. Maybe you go to our Legionella page, which is scalinguph2o.com forward slash Legionella and see all of the resources that we put together that so many people last month enjoyed going through. Or maybe you just want to search a topic you want to learn more about by putting in the search bar and then you are able to listen to the guests that we've had on the podcast and all of the different supplemental information that we've been able to put on that particular topic. Once again, all that is at your fingertips by going to scalinguph2o.com. Now, something else that's going to be on scalinguph2o.com is if you go over to our events page, you're going to see each and every event that I am getting ready to mention and also all the ones that I have not because let's face it, there are a lot of events that happen and how the heck do you keep up with all of them? Well, that's what my team has done for you. We've got everything on our events page, just like the National Association of Water Treatment Companies is having their water summit right here in my hometown in Atlanta, Georgia, September 11th through 13th. So if you want to find out more about that, you know where to go. Same place to go to find out more about the Water Pro Conference taking place in Aurora, Colorado, September 25th through 27th. This is put on by the National Rural Water Association. And then the 2023 Executive Management Conference is taking place on October 22nd through 25th in Coronado, California. This is hosted by the Association of Metropolitan Water Agencies. And this is a premier opportunity to network with peers and hear the latest thinking on water utility management practices. Lastly, I will mention that once again, I have the amazing honor of being the keynote speaker for the International Water Conference taking place November 12th through 16th in San Antonio, Texas. Now, the International Water Conference presents the latest in scientific advances and practical applications in the field and cutting across a wide range of industries, technologies, and functional areas. As the preeminent international technical forum in the field, the International Water Conference brings together end users, researchers, practicing engineers, managers, educators, suppliers, and contractors. It is dedicated to advancing new developments in the treatment, use, and reuse of water for industrial and other engineering purposes. We're, of course, going to have a lot more about the International Water Conference and all the other items that I mentioned by going to scalinguph2o.com and navigate over to our events page. Now, for those of you that are going to be at the International Water Conference, I hope you take a front row seat to my keynote speech, and I can't wait to talk to you after I finish my keynote speech. I'm sure I'm going to be wiping a little bit of sweat off my brow course, getting something like that accomplished is always fun. So thanks for the fine folks over at the International Water Conference for helping me out with that and getting to meet so many new Scaling Up Nation members. 
Scout Hub Nation, each and every week, our friend James McDonald is trying to get us to learn just a little bit more about the chemistries that allow us to do what we do in industrial water treatment. Here's James. Hello and welcome to the Periodic Water Table with James, where we think and learn about water chemistry drop by drop. Please use your week to search online, ask your colleagues, or even pick up a book to learn more about each week's periodic water table topic. If you do, at the end of the year, you'll be 52 water chemistry smarter. So let's raise the water table of knowledge together and get started. Today's topic is... Morpholine, a neutralizing amine. What does this mean, neutralizing amine? Why is morpholine considered a neutralizing amine? What is its neutralizing capacity? What's the chemical formula? How does morpholine compare to other neutralizing amines such as cyclohexylamine and DEAE? How does morpholine's distribution ratio compare to other amines? And why does this matter? Should morpholine be used in low-pressure boilers? Where should morpholine be fed into a boiler system? Could the use of the steam impact where you would recommend feeding the amine? Are there limitations on how much morpholine you can feed in some applications? Remember, knowledge is power, and taking the time to learn more about water chemistry each week will help make you a force to be reckoned with. Be sure to post what you learned to social media and tag it with hashtag watertable23 and hashtag scalingupH2O. I look forward to learning more from you. Well, thank you, James. Nation, our next guest is going to be a fun interview. He's a great friend of mine. I know you are going to enjoy it. Here is that interview. Today, my lab partner is Steve Suzanne of ChemTreat. Steve, welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Hello, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, we were just talking earlier. I feel like you've been on this show before. I know we talk about this show all the time. You give me ideas all the time. In my mind, you have been like a six-time guest. Yeah, haven't had the opportunity to be here, but I'm glad to be here now. We are fixing that horrible travesty right now as we speak. We are. Steve, for uh, the members of the Scaling Up Nation that have not had the privilege of meeting you, can you let us know a little bit about Steve Suzanne? Yeah, I grew up in western New York, um, outside Rochester. Joined the Navy right out of high school. I did 12 years, mainly on aircraft carriers, down in the boiler rooms, uh, working on the mechanical systems. And I then uh, separated and went into boiler maintenance for uh, Goodrich Corporation in Jacksonville, Florida, where your favorite guest, Mark Lewis, was my water treater. And then uh, when they laid off because they had lost a large contract, I was looking for work. So I called Mark. I said, hey, where are all the boilers in town? And uh, he says, I'm getting ready to go into a meeting. I'll call you back. And he says, uh, Tom wants to talk to you. Can you be here at 4.30? So I went to Premier Water and interviewed with Tom and Mark and walked away with a job offer. So that's what got me into what we like to call civilian water treatment because Navy water treatment is different than civilian water treatment. So same uh, lines, but it's definitely a little bit different. And then I bounced around through a couple other companies and landed here in ChemTreat. 
Well, we are glad to have you today. And, you know, it's funny. We get some of the best water treaters in our industry that come from the Navy. So, one, thank you for your service. And uh, once again, thanks for proving that uh, the military prepares future water treaters and the civilian side very well. They do. Some of the guys that I talked to that I was in the Navy with, they say, you're still using boiler water feed water school knowledge. And I'm like, yes, I am. So in the Navy, uh, mostly high pressure and you're using congruent phosphate. Tell us about those programs. Yep. We're using the phosphate and hydrazine. You're in the middle of the ocean. There's not a lot of fresh water. So we have to convert the salt water to fresh water before we can put it in the boilers. So we do that through the evaporation process where we run the water through a vacuum and it boils at 169 degrees. So we gather all the mist and then recondense it, put it in the fresh water tanks, and that's what we use to feed the boilers mainly. But it's also the drinking water and shower water for the ship. Which is easier, Navy water treatment or civilian water treatment? I want to say Navy water treatment because situations don't change. We don't run into all kinds of different systems like we have uh, here in the civilian world. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the civilian problems that you've been able to overcome a little bit later today. We're going to get deep into troubleshooting. But before we do, uh, you've got a particular hobby that we share an interest in. Do you mind telling the nation what you do on most of your weekends? Uh, I am in the competitive barbecue circuit. I compete in the North Carolina Pork Council and the Kansas City Barbecue Society events that are here locally in North Carolina. And you have done some very impressive barbecues, some pictures that you've shared with our mastermind group. I want to come through the phone and be able to sample some of those. Unfortunately, that technology hasn't been invented yet. But you've won some prizes throughout the way. We have. We haven't uh, taken first place yet, our team, but we've come in enough that for the North Carolina Pork Council, we have qualified for the last weekend of September for the state championship here in North Carolina for whole hog. That's impressive. And uh, as you know, maybe our audience doesn't know, I'm a certified judge with the Georgia Barbecue Association. You're a Kansas City judge. Very different in judging. From what I understand, as a Kansas City barbecue judge, you have to rank the barbecue that's in front of you to everything you've ever sampled in all time. Is that correct? Yes. I don't know how you do that because I couldn't remember all of that. Georgia Barbecue Association is a little bit easier. We normally have six, seven, eight boxes in front of us that we have to judge, but we're only judging the boxes against the boxes that are on the table. So they could all be horrible, but which is the best of the horrible? And then that one would get my best score. Right, yeah. With KCBS judging, we get six boxes maximum per table. And then the uh, boxes will come around and you will judge on appearance. And then everybody will take a sample after the appearance. And then you will taste it and you will do taste and texture and mark that down. But it's all one at a time. You start with the first box give it all its numbers, then you move to the next box. You may think the first or second box is the best barbecue you've ever ate, but it could be the last box that comes around is the best barbecue you ever ate. So there's a lot of higher scores that can be given 
to the first box because, yeah, I think this is great. But then you get to the last box. Oh, my God, this one's even better. But you can't go any higher. There's a big competition here in Georgia called the Big Pig Jig, and I've always wanted to go a little bit early to that because that's where they offer the Kansas City judging course. I've just never been able to find time to do it. Make time. Make time. It is great. I've been through the Kansas City judging course twice now, and I've always uh, picked something new up because I know in Georgia, you guys aren't allowed to put greenery in the box. That you will get disqualified if you have garnish in the box. That's correct. But with Kansas City, it's encouraged, but it's not required. And then it can only be a certain kind of greenery. It can't be the red leaf lettuce is one of the ones that can't be in the box. So if you get a box and it's got that red leaf lettuce in it, you have to disqualify it because it's the wrong garnish. Wow. But if it doesn't have anything in it, you can't judge it down because the team didn't put it in there because it's not required. So that's the same rules, uh, even though we don't do garnish, but if one if one team had sauce and the other team didn't, they say you can't judge what's not in the box. Right. You can only judge what's in the box. There we go. We could talk about barbecue all day, but uh, this is a water treatment show, so we're going to go ahead and move to another topic. And uh, I thought we could talk about where you and I met, which was the Association of Water Technologies. Yes, I want to believe it was 2006 in Charlotte at the convention. That sounds right. So I'm curious. Everybody has their own AWT experience. How did you get involved in AWT? And now you're involved in leadership. How did that happen? I was working for Premier Water with Mark Lewis, and he talked to me about the AWT. He took me to the convention. Uh, I had just earned my CWT earlier that year. And as soon as Mark introduced me to Angela, she says, you're a CWT. Welcome to the certification committee. No choice. You're on it. No choice. There was, I was voluntold to be on, that I was going to be on the certification committee. And I had served on the certification committee up until 2019 when I moved to Chemtreat. But then the AWT did this wonderful thing and allowed me to join as an individual member. And as soon as I hit submit and sent my... Uh, individual application off. Within five minutes, I had an email from Angela. Welcome back to the certification committee. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about that. Last year, the AWT uh, went ahead and wrote into their policies that individuals, not just companies, can join the AWT. Tell us about how that affected you and what exactly that is. Uh, when I went to Chemtreat, Chemtreat is uh, such a large corporation that they were not allowed to be a member of the AWT because AWT is targeting small companies. And being a CWT, it l very much limited my access to the source of education pieces that the AWT offers. So I was no longer had access to the webinars or to the online quizzes so that I could earn CEUs. So it was beginning to be very difficult to get the CEUs required to retain my CWT. So once I was told about this individual membership, I joined right away because I instantly got back all the access that I had lost. So if somebody's listening out there and they're curious about finding out more about individual membership, you can go to awt.org and I'm sure on their webpage you can read all about it. Yes. 
So you are on the certification committee. Tell us a little bit about what that committee does and specifically what you do on that committee. We actually write the quizzes that you can take to earn CEUs towards your CWT renewal. We review applications. Uh, we go all the applications that come in through uh, AWT to become a certified water technologist. Go through the committee. Angela randomly selects one person on the committee and sends all the information to them. And we go through it. We call contacts. We call references. Uh, we read over the paperwork to make sure that all of the boxes are checked properly. And then we return a letter to Angela that says, we approve this person to be a CWT. I've never declined anybody from getting their CWT because once they've passed the test and all the paperwork is correct, there's nothing really else to do. It's, yes, this is good. What would be one of the things that would allow somebody to want to decline that application? If there was a blatant forgery on some of the paperwork that comes in. So you're basically fact-checking to make sure everything that came in was true and correct? Yes. Yes. Fact-checkers. I like that term. (laughs) So with that, there's so many organizations out there like the AWT. There are a lot of people that listen to this podcast, different types of water treatment professionals. But for those people that are out there in the Scaling Up Nation that do the same type of water treatment that you and I do, the CWT is at the top of the certifications that you can get to prove to everybody that sees those three initials beside your name that uh, you have really accomplished something great within this industry. Anything you want to say to the audience to motivate people to get their CWT? I've actually seen it in a couple of bid specs where it's written in there that you have to be a CWT or there at least has to be a CWT within the company that's going to oversee the account. So it has opened a lot of doors for me when I was with smaller companies anyway. I don't see it a lot with the larger companies that I deal with with Chemtreat, but a lot of the smaller companies I have seen it written into their bid spec that CWT is a required protocol for for them to get the business. I've heard that and seen that more and more. So if you're out there and you haven't seen that, most likely it is coming very soon. Yes. Well, let's talk about business. So you have been an industrial water treater for how long, would you say? Uh, I moved into the industrial water treatment world in 2003. Okay. So 20 years as an industrial water treater, seen the military side, the civilian side. And as you mentioned, the civilian side, uh, you can see the same piece of equipment 20 times, and it's probably going to be installed 20 different ways. So all sorts of variables in our world. And I thought we could shift gears just slightly and talk about troubleshooting because you had brought something to the mastermind that was really fun to ask questions about and and you were getting some advice on and then you were going out and trying to see how you could isolate a leak that was in a system. We're not just talking about a little drip. Set us up. What kind of leak are we talking about? We have a very large customer with a large uh, closed loop, chill water closed loop that is 10 million gallons system volume. And we were losing at a rate of about 100 to 110 gallons per minute of water loss. That's a leak. That is a leak, yes. So it was a big leak. 
and we didn't know what happened. We didn't understand where it was going. I, they actually presented the problem to me on a Tuesday morning, and it just happened to be that our mastermind call is Tuesday afternoons, so that became what my problem was that day. And it was a fun one to dive into. And if I recall, I think the first one was, if you had to continue to treat this loop with the leak, how much, I think you were treating with molybdenum, how much you were actually going to have to put into the system. And we did some quick napkin math there. And uh, uh, we were talking totes. Totes, almost tanker truck. So that wasn't an option. (laughs) No, it was not. It was not. It was a very expensive endeavor for this leak. So there are many people out there that haven't experienced the the mastermind. And since you just mentioned you brought this to the group, tell us a little bit about how you brought it to the group and then how we processed it. Brought it to the call. I actually started the conversation in, uh, we use the app called GroupMe. And we have two different groups that we're part of. There's one group that's everybody that's in the mastermind where if we want to talk to a lot more people, but then we have that's just our group where we can throw some questions out there and get a response pretty quick if a problem arises that's outside of our normal one hour a week meeting time. So I actually threw it out in our group, uh, group me. I got some answers pretty quick. One of the uh, responses that sticks out in my head was, uh, is there any unexpected lakes forming? <laughs> Lake Suzanne. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We didn't have any lakes. So it was interesting for sure. So we gave you some advice. Uh, You had some ideas that you were already going to try. We gave you some more. Uh, I think you took all of that information. And then your new endeavor was how do you find this leak? So talk us through that. We met the customer and I, and we sat down and they explained that they had a pressure spike in in the overnight hours and it had gone up well above normal operating range in the system and once the pressure spike came down the makeup meter uh, started spinning so they said we don't know where it is yet we need your help so instantly i thought normally the weakest points within the uh, closed systems are air handlers i have 18 buildings that we collect air handler condensate from, and it is pumped back to one of the main chiller plants and used as cooling tower makeup. It's free water. So that water is pure. So I started testing for molybdenum in that tank that it all comes back to. Uh, When I found that I didn't have any molybdenum in that system, I instantly eliminated all of the air handlers in those 18 buildings. So we did that kept an eye out for any geysers because a lot of this piping's underground. We didn't have any geysers. And the customer has a building automation system called PI, P-I. And they have done their due diligence and they have a lot more information in that than I have seen at other customers. Every building has a uh, flow meter for chill water supply, chill water return going in and out of that building. So what we did is we took all of the buildings that had greater than 50% loss between the supply and return and put those in a list. Well, then we started looking at that list and there were several buildings that had 20 gallons per minute in and eight gallons per minute out. We're losing over hundred gallons per minute. So we kind of put those buildings to the side 
and we focused on buildings that had more than 100 gallons per minute flow going in with a 50% reduction. And we narrowed it down to three buildings. So we sent people out, and I actually went out. It was one of the first buildings that I went to just because where I was on their site, it was the first building that I came to. So I met a couple of mechanics there, and we went in, and we just started looking and listening. We went to all of the air handler rooms, and we really didn't see anything, really didn't hear anything. Air handlers do have, there's some loudness in there. So we started at the top of the building and worked our way down. And when we got to the basement, we, there was a foot of water in the basement. And I tested it because I had the Chemets kit for mal- molybdenum. And I snapped off an ampule, and it instantly changed colors. I said, this is our problem right here. And there was an open pipe that was just dumping to the ground. So we went back and started tracing this pipe back and back and back. And up in the penthouse, there was a relief valve that had lifted. It didn't reset. And we had water in the basement because it was flowing water faster into the basement than the sump pumps could pump out. So that worked out to be where our problem lied is in that building. The relief valve didn't reset. So they got a couple of hammers and tapped on it, and it finally reset. And in the basement, the water stopped coming out, and almost instantly, the water meter stopped turning. So from the time you had the pressure spike to the time you found and corrected the problem, what was the elapsed time? About five days, because this customer site is huge. There's 26 miles of piping underground, so we had a lot of places to look. In five days, how much water was wasted? Over a million gallons. How valuable were you being able to find where that problem was? Very valuable. I went through two boxes of Chemets looking for that molybdenum. So it it was really helpful because we could, a couple places they had thought, you know, maybe it's this one because this is one of the older buildings. And if it's an air handler, it's probably in here. And it turned out that it wasn't. So having the chemets and being able to test for molybdenum rather quickly instead of having to do the uh, powder pillow test and wait the, the three minutes worked out well. Yeah, that's great advice if you're doing a whole bunch of testing to be able to do or use those ampules. I mean, instantly you were able to get a result. That, that's pretty smart. Yeah, I wasn't looking for a specific number. I was just looking for the presence of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it came in handy. The kit that I use uh, does 20 ppm to 200 ppm. So we run 150 normally in the system. So as soon as it changed color, I knew, okay, this is it's here. Or if it doesn't change color, okay, it's not here. The analytics that you had already on the system are fantastic. And wouldn't it be great if that was on every single system? Unfortunately... A lot of times, the only way we find a leak is we're testing for nitrite or molybdate. It's there one month, we come back the next month, and it's not there anymore. So I'm curious, let's say we don't have a water meter. Let's say we don't have any of the analytics that you had available to you, uh, but we had, let's say, a thousand nitrite in the system, or let's say a hundred and something molybdate in the system. And we test it 30 days later, and it's all gone. What can we do to try to figure out what's going on in that system? If it all disappears that quick, there's 
definitely a problem. Nine times out of ten, it's a leak. Sometimes it could be microbiological. So I would run a full analysis, not just the specific chemistry. Want to run a full analysis, compare it to the last full analysis you ran. What has changed? What is it as compared to what the makeup water is? And then start digging for leaks. There's going to be a telltale sign somewhere. Sometimes it takes a while to show its head. We had a church that had a leak. We could not find the leak. Uh, We had to install a water meter to prove that there was a leak. And boy, was there a leak. That thing was spinning off the hinges. I don't know if water meters have hinges, but if they did, those things would be spinning. And uh, so we proved that there was a, a pretty good leak there. Nobody could find it. And nobody was really concerned about it as much as we were. And fast forward, I don't know, maybe a month, two, three months, there was a sinkhole in the parking lot. There was the leak. There was the leak. Sinkholes happen. So no no Lake Suzanne, but uh, definitely all of the dirt that was uh, allowing the parking lot to be a parking lot was all washed away. They, of course, uh, dug that out. They were surprised that that happened, and then they instantly saw the leak there. Uh, found some other issues, too, so they went ahead and did some other repair work, and now that's been a pretty tight system. I don't know about you, Steve, but isn't it a good idea to have a water meter on every closed system? It is. It is. I enjoy customers that like data, and a water meter is just another data point that helps them, but it helps us also. And as you mentioned, data is only important if you track it. And maybe you've got a fancy system that's doing it in real time, but most of the time you've got to go to the water meter and you write those numbers down on your field service report. And now you've got a trend. And with uh, a lot of the, the service reporting systems that we're all using now, you can very easily track or, or, or line graph out that trend. And you can see very easily and you can demonstrate to the customer when exactly that leak started. So I'm a proponent that if you're going to have data, do something with that data and put it into some sort of a system so you can use it to help you in times like that. Yes. We actually incorporate all of our water meter data into annual business reviews. Some of the larger customers, we actually do quarterly business reviews. And a lot of them now are starting to ask for the water meter data because we water meters have helped me find more than just this one problem that we're discussing today. So you were looking for molybdate, and uh, I really liked how you said, I don't have time to test you know, all of these sites and doing the regular, my dad would call that the Betty Crocker method. And you just uh, decided to have the all-in-one ampules. I think, I think that's a great troubleshooting tip to do a lot in a, in a hurry. With that, if you weren't looking for molybdate, Um, And we'll just talk about just a regular closed loop system. What are some other things you can look for in other bodies of water, other sources of water to try to determine if you have a leak or not? We actually use different dyes for different systems. Hot water is normally red, chill water is normally blue. So when you pull your sample, you can tell if the dye is not the same color it was last month, there's been a change. 
That's a great tip. I know there's some fluorescent dyes out there, and they are uh, they're able to fluoresce at parts per billion of uh, concentration. So very, very slightly, and you can put a what is it? Not an ultra fluorescent. What am I? Ultraviolet. That's well, ultraviolet. Black light. Yeah, black light, and it will fluoresce. And you're right, nine times out of 10, when we're helping a customer find that and we put a fluorescent dye in, we go straight for the pop-off valves and we will see that there is a leak coming out of there. Now, you can't see it with the naked eye, but as soon as you put the black light on there, you can see it fluoresce. And normally what happens is somebody will drain the system a little bit and it will distort through vacuum the little ball that sits in there. And now the ball isn't a ball anymore. It's got a crease in it. And that's normally where the water is leaking out. What's your experience? Mine, nine times out of 10, that's where you're going to find the leak. Yes. A lot of relief valves have been problems. I've seen some now in some older piping systems that are underground. Some of the steel wasn't made proper. And I've actually seen a couple of pipes corrode from the outside in because they were improperly treated before they were put in the ground. So just the rainwater that's in the ground and the natural moisture that's in the dirt was corroding the pipe from the outside in. And a leak was developed that way. So that's that's something to be mindful of if you have a system that was built when we had all this bad piping that was put in the ground. If I recall, a rash of that bad piping uh, came over from another country in the early 2000s, and that was right around the molybdate shortage. And I don't think they were using the proper amounts of molybdate to treat the piping, if, if I recall what was going on there. But here in Atlanta, we had a lot of building between like uh, 2000 to 2010, and we have been called in on so many systems because water treatment's not working. Well, when you see the outside of the pipe rusting, that's not a water treatment problem. Exactly. But that has happened so many times. So be on the lookout if you've got a building that was built within that time. Yeah, not only the building, but the piping that gets the water to the building. Good point. Well, Steve, any other troubleshooting tips if somebody thinks they had a, a leak that you want to leave people with? Know your systems. Take the time to understand your systems. Um, what the Navy taught me is uh, I go into a customer and I will draw the system out. I will make a uh, paper drawing, just a quick sketch so that I can, I know where relief valves are. I know where water meters are. I know my points of chemical injection. I know this water is going from this room to this room to that room, and it, it really helps knowing where the water is going so that if there is a leak, you know where to look. Well, speaking of advice, you now have an open mic to the entire Scaling Up Nation. We're about 20,000 listeners strong, so you've got all these water treaters out there. What advice, what words of wisdom do you want to give What's ticking you off that a lot of people do? You have an open mic. What, what do you want to say to the Scaling Up Nation? Build relationships with your customers. If I had not had the great relationship that I had with this customer, I think it could have gone wrong. The relationship opened up a very good line of communication. I 
did not get. It's the water treater's fault that we're having this problem. It doesn't fall back to, it's always the water treatment problem with some of my customers because I have developed a relationship with them and they can call me. They can call me 24 hours a day. They know that. They normally don't, but they know that they can. And building these relationships has really helped me along my career. That's fantastic advice. Steve, if you had a leak on this same system, do you think you could find it faster now? We would be able to find it faster if it leaks on this system now, just because we went through this protocol as a team and it will be easier to find it now. Well, as you know, I do lightning round questions with all of my guests. So you are now in the hot seat. Are you strapped in and ready to take the lightning round? All right. Hang on. Let me tighten my belts. All right. Let's <laughs> Here we go. First question. Uh, if you could go back in time and speak with yourself on your first day as a water treater, what advice would you give yourself? Don't ever be the smartest person in the room. Mm. If you are the smartest person in the room, you are in the wrong room. I am always learning. I will say that is the most exciting thing about this job. If you do it right, you should never be bored. You never see the same thing twice. If you are washing, rinsing, and repeating, you are not doing this job correctly because each and every day you should learn something new. So I love that answer. Thank you for that. What are the last few books that you've read? Well, we mentioned the first one earlier. It was TED Talks by Chris Anderson, which was assigned through the Masterminds. And it helped me with my TED Talk, and it helped me with my daughter's wedding speech slash toast. So that that really helped. Another book that I recently read was Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson. Very interesting. It's a shorter book, very quick read, but it uh, helps describe personalities. And I was able to pick out all of the personalities that were in the book with people that are in my life currently at work and at home. And it was kind of interesting how that all tied together. And then uh, another one of my hobbies that I am currently reading is The Fast Track to Your Extra Class Ham Radio License by Michael Burnett. I dabble in the ham radio. I'm studying to get my, uh, my next level of license class. And he reads all of the questions. There's a test question bank, very similar to the way the AWT works. But he reads all the questions, and he reads all the answers, and at the end of a wrong answer, you'll hear a buzzer. At the end of a right answer, you'll hear a bell. So as I was taking, I used the, uh, the previous book when I took my test a couple years ago for my general class license, and as I was reading the questions, I could hear the buzzers and the bells going off in my head. So it's, it's really, really nice. So I've got the uh, paperback book, but I also have the audio book that I listen to on the road. So that one has really helped me in my personal life. So um, when they make a movie about Steve Suzanne, who do you want playing Steve? This took me a while, but I had to go with Clint Eastwood. All right. Because uh, his attitude and my attitude are very similar. Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> So kind of a uh, oh, what was the uh, the El Camino? What was uh, what was that movie he uh, did? Grand, kind of, kind Grand of that, Torino. Grand Torino. That was it. So kind of that attitude, uh, Clint Eastwood. Yes. 
Okay, got it. And then my last question for you, Steve, uh, you now have the ability to speak with anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Uh, I thought long and hard about this, and I decided on Jack Daniels because he developed a world-known whiskey in a dry county in Tennessee. There was a lot of battles he had to fight, and he got through it successfully. And I just think talking to him uh, would be a, a pretty good time. Well, speaking of that answer, next year, the AWT is going to be in Kentucky, and we are thinking about how are we going to do a bourbon tour? So uh, we're going to try to plan that with the mastermind. So you're going to be an integral part of that, if I haven't told you that yet. And uh, we're going to see if we can try to answer that question even more. Yes, yes. And I am so looking forward to going to Louisville because I was scheduled to go in 2020. But COVID happened. So that was the one that was uh, rescheduled and we went virtual and it just wasn't the same. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the Scaling Up H2O podcast and uh, really opening our eyes to some simple things we can do now that will really pay off in the future. Thank you for having me, Trace. It's a great time. Steve, once again, thanks for coming on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. I love having people that I have known for years on this podcast. There's always such a depth of questions that we can reach from. And we probably could have done an episode for about 10 hours, but I know people probably wouldn't listen to an episode that long. So again, thank you for all of the great information. And as you know, Steve is a mastermind member, and there are so many things that I have done that I am proud of in my career, but I think the one that I am most proud of is putting together the Rising Tide Mastermind. We are in our fourth year of having the Rising Tide Mastermind, and this was an idea that I hoped would work in our industry and it has surpassed my wildest dreams of success. And the reason for that are people just like Steve. People come each and every week and they are making the Rising Tide Mastermind their own. We're learning how to process issues together. We're learning how to share information that we have with other people and we are getting further faster and having more fun in life by being a member of the Rising Tide Mastermind. Now, we just launched our seventh group. We're starting a waiting list for number eight. So I can't guarantee that the Rising Tide Mastermind is the right place for you. But if you want to find out, you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind, and you can fill out an application. You and I can go through an interview, and we can see if it sounds like a good fit. Even if the Rising Tide Mastermind is not the right fit for you, there is a fit that is right for you out there. And folks, this is a hard job to do alone. Not to mention life is hard to do alone. 
So whether it's this group or another group, it is my hope, it is my wish for you that everybody has a group of directors that they can turn to to help them with whatever they're going through, to make sure that they're processing issues properly, to make sure that they have a sounding board so they don't have to start on square one and they can have the help of others, like I said, to get through life further, faster, and while they're having more fun. And Steve is definitely not only doing that, but helping others in the Rising Tide Mastermind do that very thing. Nation, we've got Industrial Water Week coming up the first full week of October. So how are you going to celebrate that? We always do something each and every day to celebrate Industrial Water Week. And I love when people post social media pictures of them with their favorite water softener, their favorite boiler, their favorite cooling tower. On Fridays, a lot of people have a cake with their team or their customers. So I have no doubt we're going to have a lot of fun next month when we do Industrial Water Week. To find out more about Industrial Water Week, go to scalinguph2o.com and we'll have all of the information of what we're planning on doing and how you can learn even more about all the things around Industrial Water Week. Nation, I hope you have a good rest of your week, and I'll have a brand new episode for you next Friday. In the meantime, have a great week, folks. Skyline Nation, it's my hope that whatever you do in the industrial water treatment community, that you do it with excellence. And if you're in the same type of water treatment that I'm in, I do that by maintaining my certified water technologist designation. I know so many of you out there are studying for that prestigious certification, and I'm here to help. I've answered each one of the mock exam questions, letting you know the logic behind how questions are asked and also doing all the math to show you how to set things up so you can easily find the right answer and make sure you don't select one of those sneaky wrong answers. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep Again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep to sign up today.